Looking for work, better pay, better work environment? We can help. Call Kelly Jobs today at 502-425-7131 to speak with a recruiter today. Score a better job with us. Call 502-425-7131 or visit kellyjobs.com. That's kellyjobs.com. Tired of jumping from job to job? How about a career in a recession-proof industry where you can make a difference and help create a healthier living and working environment? The pest management industry gives you the opportunity to work with more independence. OPC Pest Services will give you a chance to grow with advancement. Come be a part of our team at OPC Pest Services. Apply online at opcpest.com careers. That's opcpest.com careers. For the drive with Mark Ennis, presented by Fitness Market on 93.9 The Ville. Fitness Market is Louisville's premier location for home and commercial fitness equipment and electric bikes. Find them online at thefitnessmarket.com. Now here's Mark Ennis and Biggest Biscuit, also known as Dave Skull. Welcome back into the drive here on 93.9 The Ville. Mark Ennis, Dave Skull. Super Bowl week here. Just a reminder, we will have Super Bowl here on your ESPN Louisville station. So stick around here on Sunday. If you're out and about, not going to be able to watch it necessarily, we'll have it on uh, here as well. And we're going to talk with Jason Anderson here in just a few minutes, or just a few seconds, hopefully, uh, from from the Super Bowl in Kansas City. I would imagine that AFC Championship game win, for as much as it stings uh, with all of our with the, the local number of uh, Bengals fans here, if you are a Chiefs fan or a Chiefs player, quite frankly, that had to be way up there in terms of satisfying conference championship wins where, where Kansas City got the rare experience of being doubted a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that's what that's what happens when, when old Joe Burrow comes in 3-0 and against your team, right? And uh, everyone was kind of on the Bengals bandwagon, and you've got Pat Mahomes over there and Andy Reid, and everyone's kind of – they were second-class citizens in that conversation. You know, the the Bengals were the uh, were the Vogue team, and they kind of got a little like a satisfying win out of that. Zero oh, and four, not at all. One and three. There you go. Kind of Pat Holmes kind of announcing that he's still there. I think if you are the if you're the Bengals, this is a good reminder uh, and a good lesson for everybody. Like it's going to be for as long as he's there, and especially if it's Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes and and Kelsey is healthy and and who he is right now. Don't need to fire those guys up. Uh, there is no, yeah, there's no cakewalk. Are we good? All right. Well, joining us now here, you know this voice, and you will know this voice immediately again, and you'll feel like you're going back in time to him being back here on your airways. Yay. Our guy, Jason Anderson. Jason, we were just talking about this. I would imagine in your conversations with, with people around the team and, and with fans there in Kansas City that that AFC Championship game win over Cincinnati after all of the Burrowhead talk and the mayor of Cincinnati running his mouth and all that stuff had to be way, way up there in terms of satisfying wins with this group, this tenure of Kansas City players. Yeah, satisfying is a good way to put it, guys, and I appreciate you having me on. It was, uh, you know, it's been a long time coming. It was a one year in the making because of that AFC Championship game a year ago where the Bengals had that, you know, great comeback and played, you know, awesome football in the second half and won the game. And you know, got to the Super Bowl, and the Chiefs had to think about that all off season about them saying, we let one slip away. We should be going to our third straight Super Bowl. Instead, the Bengals are. And then they show up this year, and they talk about, you know, the Bengals, and they go on the road. And this is the team that we've been preparing to beat. And then they lose again in sort of the same fashion. That Here's another loss by three points late in the game. And so there was a lot of talk leading into that game about, you know, is this sort of a team that you just can't get over the hump? And so being able to do that, I think there was a lot of pent-up frustration uh, that was released on that particular night by Chiefs players and the Burrowhead and, you know, the, uh, the mayor that decided to, uh, to speak up. And, uh, and I think the Chiefs <laughs> players let them know after the game was over about, um, about some of those things that they were hearing that they felt like, hey, we're still the team to beat. We're still the best team in the AFC, even though the Bengals had beat them three times. Uh, the Chiefs felt like there were so many mistakes they made in those games as to why they didn't win. But a team wins three times. There's something going on there. They just uh, didn't win the fourth one. So now it's one and three instead of uh, oh and three. Uh, Jason, we, you know, I think we think of Andy Reid as as kind of a quiet, 
guy or kind of uh, jolly, you know, jovial when he's, you know, when they're winning and he's he's in the commercials and he's funny and likable. But is there a is there a side of him that embraces that you you see or you hear about from players and that sort of thing that that leans on these things where they're being doubted and that sort of thing as a motivational guy? Is he one that uses this stuff, you know, in that regard, or is he just sort of hey, we'll just worry about us? He'll use it sparingly. And one of the reasons why I thought the Chiefs would come out and play the way that they did and the Chiefs would be able to protect Patrick Mahomes, even though he scrambled and and had to use more mobility than I think the Chiefs would like, uh, one of the reasons was that you know Andy Reid was asked on the Tom Brady and Jim Gray podcast about Patrick Mahomes, and he said, you know, how do you keep Patrick Mahomes upright and healthy against the Bengals? And Andy Reid said, I'm going to let my offensive line figure it out. They're the ones that have to wear this and, and up their game. After they lost to the Colts earlier this year, and what is still a surprising result in losing to the Colts, they played the Bucks the next week. And Andy Reid had challenged the offensive line to step up. And then Shaq Barrett came out and said that that defense is going to have a coming out party against the Chiefs offensive line the way they did in the Super Bowl. And they were challenged all week. And the Chiefs came out offensively, and Patrick Mahomes was barely pressured in that game, and they talked about it after the game. that Well, we were challenged. Andy Reid challenged everybody, challenged the offensive line, and they all answered the bell. Patrick Mahomes, the offensive line, answered the bell. Clyde edwards the offensive line, answered the bell. Andy Reid, the offensive line, answered the bell. So I thought the same thing would happen against the Bengals, that he does not go to the well very often with that. It's typically, this is your job, this is the game plan, get your work done, Let's get out there and play. He's not the rah-rah, you know, I'm going to run through. He's not the Kirby Smart pregame before the, right. the national championship. That's not Andy <laughs> Reid. But he will go to the well from time to time, and I think it's more of a challenge to players, not this is what they're saying. It's a this is what I expect from you, and you'd better step up. And guess what? Our quarterback's hopping around because of you. So pick your game up and, and wear it and, and show me how you can play. I think the players embrace sort of the outside talking. I don't think Andy Reid goes and, and looks for those things. Zach Taylor talked about that he does and some other coaches do. I don't think Andy Reid needs to do that or wants to do that. We're talking with Jason Anderson. He's now in Kansas City, back home in Kansas City, just in time to be there uh, at the perfect marriage of one of the best coaches in the history of football and one of the best quarterbacks in the history of football, winning a lot of games uh, of football right now, and they'll be in the Super Bowl this weekend against the Eagles. Big picture on this season, Jason. How – how would you say that the Chiefs were able to to truly not miss an offensive beat despite intentionally moving on from one of the most dangerous receivers in the NFL? You know, they trade Terry Kill and the offense didn't slow down at all. How was it different and how were they able to replace him so seamlessly? Well, it's uh, you know, the the year has been it's been crazy. Just th- thinking back to when they made that trade because at the time what was going on around the league was the uh, Chargers are going and, and trading for players. The um, the Raiders the Broncos. are bringing in Chandler Jones. Yeah. The Broncos go and get Russell Wilson. The Bills sign Vaughn Miller, right? The Bengals are spending all this money on their offensive line. You know, all these teams are gunning for the Chiefs, and at the same time, they're zigging when other teams were zagging, and they trade Tyreek Hill because the money just wasn't going to work out. Once Christian Kirk signed with the Jags, you know, we've heard different stories now internally with the Chiefs that once that happened, they figured that they were not going to be able to sign Tyreek Hill. So let's now figure out the trading of Tyreek Hill was like three weeks in, in the making before they finally, you know, made that decision. And at the time, it felt like this is going to be short-term pain for a long-term gain of, of keeping the window open for an extended period of time. And I've always said, like, I think tanking works. I, I think it's a good strategy. It sucks, and it's a tough pill to swallow for fans. But, you know, you get stud players by picking at the top of rounds. And the process in Philadelphia didn't turn out to be all that successful. But the strategy, because the execution was flawed, doesn't mean that the strategy was wrong, if, if that makes sense. And for the Chiefs, the strategy of will trade Tyreek Hill for picks and cap space so we can become better two through 53 is a good strategy. What's the execution, though? Well, when the execution is you get McDuffie and Watson and Williams and Karloftis and Sky Moore and Brian Cook, and these guys all make plays, and Isaiah Pacheco, these guys all make plays in an AFC championship game while Tyreek Hill is at home, while Patrick Mahomes is almost $40 million against the cap, it's, it's incredibly improbable that the Chiefs are in this spot, to be quite frank, from where they were when they traded Tyreek Hill. They didn't expect the Broncos to be as bad as they were, right? 
um, you know, the Raiders to come back a little bit, which was kind of expected because they won all those one-score games, you know, and the Chargers kind of expected to be chargering. That's kind of what they do anyway. Um, but but the other teams, right, this was the Bills' year. This was going That's to right. be the Bills' Super Bowl, and the, and the Chiefs end up being in the spot where there's the, uh, the, the most cap uh, hit for any team for a quarterback in the Super Bowl is $25 million. Patrick Mahomes is 36.8 the highest percentage of any quarterback to take his team to the Super Bowl against the cap is 12.5% of the cap. Patrick Mahomes is over 17% of the cap with is that it's not supposed to have, you're not supposed to do that with the expensive quarterback, right? You do that with the rookie quarterback, mm-hmm. the, the Joe Burrow, the Jalen Hurts, the Russell Wilson, the Patrick Mahomes before he signed the big deal. That's what's so impressive is you trade away Tyreek Hill, you get younger with rookies and you have to navigate now a new reality for the Chiefs, and that is winning with a very expensive quarterback. And it only goes up from here because it's going to be over $40 million next year. And by trading Tyreek Hill, they've aligned themselves to be able to navigate that, to be able to, to, um, be, be able to, to take on that salary cap hit, and somehow they're in the Super Bowl yet again. That, that, that's what makes this year a little more special for the Chiefs organization is that this was supposed to be a reorganized, not a not a rebuild because you don't rebuild with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, but sort of a restructure and reorganize two through fifty three, and and they still find themselves in this position. Jason, they were sixth in the NFL this year in the most snaps taken by rookies. That's how you do yeah. it. Yeah, and 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 finding the right guys though. Yeah. You know, Trent McDuffie's been really good when he's healthy. Carl Loftus is sacking quarterbacks. You know, every game in the last month, he had only like one sack in the first like 12 weeks of the season, and then almost every week since then he's getting a sack. Jalen Watson has, you know, back-to-back interceptions in the playoffs. He had the pick six against the Chargers in week number two. That was the, um, you know, the 14-point swing at the goal line. Joshua Williams was filled in, you know, fourth rounder from Division Two. Isaiah Pacheco is a seventh rounder, you know, and he sort of changed the way this offense can, uh, can work. And so, and, and that's been the main thing is, you know, without Tyreek Hill, Okay, so they would they would they would bank on you know you would defend or try to defend. How do we stop Tyreek Hill? How do we stop Travis Kelsey? And we've talked to different quarterbacks in the off season, just trying to pick their brain at. Okay, you have a you have a star receiver. What do you do? And Patrick Mahomes has said it that you know sometimes he would say, "All right, I'm throwing to Tyreek Hill on this play," and not necessarily reading the play or reading the defense. It's Tyreek Hill. I'm going to throw him. He's Tyreek open, right? He's not necessarily open. That's not really the mm. scheme of the design for this play. But it's Tyreek Hill, I'm going to throw him the ball. Yeah. Trent Green in Kansas City for a long time, you know, we talked with him, and he would say, yeah, I would force it to Tony Gonzalez because he's Tony Gonzalez, right? Um, and so that was sort of part of the conversation in the offseason is, does Mahomes become a better overall quarterback by just simply sitting back and saying, this is where the ball is supposed to be delivered, and let me throw it to the outlet, let me, let me check down to the running back when it's there. Um, and obviously they still have, you know, the best tight end in the history of the game, and, and Travis Kelsey, that helps, but... Um, uh, I spent all offseason saying that, you know, put money on Mahomes MVP. It's plus 900 right now. <laughs> go put money on Mahomes. And I did. Uh, go put money. And so Thursday night will be nice. Uh, go put money on Mahomes MVP because this is a bleep you tour. This is a, okay, you don't think I'm going to be good without Tyreek Hill? Okay. Okay, it's my fault that the Chiefs lost in the AFC Championship game, which it was. I mean, he was terrible. Okay. This was the first time he's entered an offseason and gone through that with the, you know, Patrick, you aren't really a unicorn. Maybe you aren't that special. I was like, all right, well, I'll show you. We'll see. And he's that guy. He's incredibly competitive. When they played the Bears his second year, he scored a touchdown. He counted to 10 because the Bears said they were going to draft him at two, and they took Trubisky, and he went 10th. So he ran back to the sideline counting to 10. He was voted fourth best player in the NFL by the NFL players at NFL Network, and that was the Lamar Jackson was number one. Mahomes scored a touchdown and ran back and counted to four on his fingers as he was running back to the sideline. He is a competitive prick, is what Eric Bieniemy called him. You know, <laughs> and, and and it comes through. It's why I'm not I'm not leaving the game with an ankle injury. Yeah, we have to see if it's broken. No, don't care. We'll check it at <laughs> halftime. I'm staying in the game. No, no, no. I'm not going to put you back in until you get an X-ray. Well, let me throw the the coat down and 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 now have to go back to the uh, to the locker room and get an X-ray. And oh, by the way, I'm going to run there so I can get back out on the field. We're talking with Jason Anderson, used to host The Zone on 3 to 6 here on ESPN 680. Now he is back in Kansas City hosting The Zone. Middays there on 810 in our home uh, mother station, 810 WHB there in Kansas City. And they are obviously uh, stoked for this Super Bowl matchup. Jason, let's talk about this matchup, uh, a very different matchup than the one with Cincinnati. It was a very different team. I I think that Chris Jones and that defense was a mismatch for Cincinnati up front, and it showed 
they uh, they won't be a mismatch for the Philadelphia offensive line. Let's start sort of in that nope. direction. They got after Burrow a lot, and they didn't they weren't able to run the ball nearly as much as they were against Buffalo uh, in that game. And, and Jones was kind of a one man wrecking crew. But the Eagles have maybe the best offensive line in the NFL. Tell me about uh, sort of Kansas City thoughts on that matchup and how they mm-hmm. handle that and how they stand up in that matchup. Yeah, it is. It's completely different than a couple of weeks ago. That all offseason, Chris Jones talked about the Bengals game. He had Joe Burrow sacked twice, Burrow escaped twice, picked up first downs, and they end up losing that game. Chris Jones coming into this offseason had never had a postseason sack. Hmm. And he's dominant, and people talked about it, and he talked about it, you know. And so that meant a lot for that game, for him to be that one man wrecking crew. And you're right, they had an advantage. They had three backup offensive linemen. You've got to take advantage of those things when you have it. And Chris Jones was clearly being used by Spagnolo in a certain way. One of the other things they did re- really well against the Bengals, and it's been a slow progression this year, is they tackled really well in the open space. The first game in, in what, December 4th when the Chiefs went to Cincinnati, the Bengals would drop a little outlet pass or a check down to Samaje Ryan, and he would pick up 11, 12 yards. They'd throw a little pass down the line of scrimmage to Jamar Chase, and he'd break two tackles and pick up more yards. And in this game, they talked about tackling tackling, tackling. They've been good at the end of the season, and I don't remember a Bengals player breaking a tackle in that game. They tackled P. Ryan, they tackled Mixon, they tackled Jamar Chase in the open field. That was a big deal, which is going, I say that because it's a big deal on Sunday, is tackling, because the Eagles want to put you out on an island and have you one-on-one with some players, whether that's Jalen Hurts or it's Miles Sanders, and the defensive ends are going to have to play disciplined football. They want to try to get them into obvious passing situations because Chris Jones is still Chris Jones. He's still a dominant player, even if he's going up against a really good offensive line. But they're not just going to be able to manhandle and overpower the offensive line like they did last week. So they've got to play incredibly disciplined football, and the cornerbacks have to tackle really well. And they did that against the Bengals because when you've got Jalen Hurts that's going to be reading the defensive end and Frank Clark, the linebackers have to play well. But I think this is a big game for guys like McDuffie and Jalen Watson and, and Legarius Sneed to step up and come up and, and make tackles in the secondary, which is something they're really good at. It's one of the, um, the hallmarks of Steve Spagnuolo's defenses is that he wants to pressure and he wants tall, linky cornerbacks that want to hit you. And the Chiefs have that. And so there is somewhat of an advantage there, maybe from some other teams that may not have cornerbacks that want to come up and stop the run. But this is the best offense I think they'll face all year. That's because the Bengals' offensive line was you know, diminished. The Eagles are not. Um, you know, the Eagles have A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, and Dallas Goddard and a really good offensive line and Jalen Hurts. The question is, how injured is that shoulder for Jalen Hurts? He hasn't been running it the way that, he, that he's done in the past, and he hasn't been picking apart defenses in the pocket the way that he did for a good portion of this season. So I think Spags is a deep, decent chance he just puts his cornerbacks on an island and saying, you've got A.J. Brown, you've got a Devontae Smith, and we're going to make sure that Jalen Hurts doesn't hurt us with his legs. And we're going to say, beat us over the top because we don't think your arm's capable of it right now. And, and we'll see if that's the case. But you're right, it is a completely different matchup this week for the Chiefs defense. And I think it's the defensive line. Well, line of scrimmage, obviously. But if the offensive line could protect Patrick Mahomes and keep that game-wrecking D-line away from him and allow them to run their offense, then I think the Chiefs have a really good chance of winning. If Mahomes is scrambling and running for his life and Jalen Hurts is sitting back, you know, making a sandwich in the pocket, it's going to be a long day for the Chiefs. Jason, how about the the flip side there? You had Mahomes two weeks ago, you functionally on one one leg, uh, and the Bengals have had a, a very good pass rush in their postseason run last year, and in this the ten game winning streak they had coming into it. And the Chiefs did a wonderful job uh, protecting Mahomes. I know Kansas City fans probably will never forget the image of Mahomes running literally a mile. Uh, in the Super Bowl against Tampa Bay behind <laughs> yeah. that terrible offensive line. They're far better than they were in that Super Bowl, but this is a, a, an insanely deep and talented front seven for, for Philadelphia. Uh, and Dominican Sue just comes in for like a handful of snaps. You know, it, it, mm-hmm. like That's how good yep. they are up there. Maybe how much more Kansas City is perhaps concerned about that matchup and keeping Mahomes upright uh, in his limitations against one of the best front sevens in all of the NFL. I think it's trying to throw change-ups if you're, if you're Andy Reid. That, you know, you can't get an obvious passing situation to get this front because they're that good. But can you keep them off balance by, you know, running the ball a little bit? You know, using Isaiah Pacheco and Jarek McKinnon, the outlet passes to the running backs, uh, screen passes. Andy Reid's one of the best screen, you know, 
uh, screen game offensive minds um, in league history. They're really good at running the screens. They do it from all different angles, middle screen, outside screens, wide receivers, running backs, tight ends. I think that'll be an important part of the game this weekend. But can they keep the Philadelphia Eagles defensive line off balance and, and maybe guessing a little bit more than just simply pinning their ears back and uh, going after a quarterback that you know maybe can't move or is one-dimensional? Because even if the Chiefs are one-dimensional, I think Andy Reid's perfectly fine with that too. I mean, in the second half against the Bengals, they couldn't run the football and they had a third-string tight end and their fifth wide receiver on the field, and they were still throwing it every down because that's Andy Reid. That's just simply what he does. Um, and so I think they're going to have to find a way to you know, either run the ball or screen passes and, and things like that just to keep them off balance. I think that will be um, the name of the game for the Chiefs if they're able to do that. We're talking with Jason Anderson, host of The Zone, 810 in Kansas City. Used to be host of The Zone here. We do sorely miss you around here. Uh, but let's stay right there uh, on this the, the coaching aspect of this one. And I'm kind of curious what you sense Kansas City uh, feeling about Nick Sirianni and an Eagle staff that either is going to be overwhelmed by this or is going to be one of those sort of blissfully, I, I don't even know what I don't know, and, and they'll play with nothing, no pressure at all. Just so your your overall impressions of a very young and inexperienced staff who's gotten here very quickly against some – there are very mm-hmm. few coaches who've ever coached in more games like this than Andy Reid in the history of the NFL. Uh, in, in terms of experience and that sort of familiarity, all of that sort of thing, He's it's it's an incredible mismatch, and yet maybe it isn't. I'm kind of curious what you think of the, the Eagles side and the coaching staff in this matchup. No, I think that's an interesting part about what this game may be is this is the fourth time Andy Reid has taken a team to the Super Bowl. That's the third time in four years he's taken the Chiefs. And they've got experience of like just leading into it, right? Experience of you know how to build the weeks out, how to build the days out. When when do you put the game plan in? What does next week actually look like next week is in what is now this week? What does that look like with the media responsibilities? How much time are you taking away from you know, being able to prep and do things like that. What is the, the actual time that you have, right? I think having that experience certainly helps. And I think Andy Reid being there, done that, helps. Like Steve Spagnolo, you know, we talked with him last week and just about, you know, what this um, the, the lead-up to the Super Bowl is going to be. And they went to the Super Bowl that you mentioned, that, that game against the Bucks. Well, that was COVID. Nobody went down to Tampa until, like, two days before. So they did everything in Kansas City and then Tampa, obviously, there. But they did everything by Zoom, and it was like a regular week. And so Spagnolo goes, you know, well, for this week, I'm going to go back to my notes from 2019 and see the different things that we did. So he's got that, right? He's got all those notes he took from what worked and what didn't work from, you know, the most recent time they went to the Super Bowl. The Chiefs also have 22 players on their team that have played in the Super Bowl. The uh, the Eagles have eight. So, you know, all, you know, a third of their team, more than a third of their team has played in a Super Bowl. The Chiefs have. And so they've also been through the what is the expectation, what is the pull. You know, Frank Clark talking about, you know, going to the Super Bowl, that one of the things you have to be, you know, be mindful of is, well, when your friends are there, they're not prepping to play in a game. And they're going out to dinner. They're going over here. They're going to this club. And you're at home in your hotel and your family's doing that. But you've got to put that out of your mind and just say, I'm here to do a job. And he's like, and it's not easy when you're, you know, first there. It's like, well, I, I want to be out. I want to see my friends like this is the Super Bowl, right? But you've got to be able to focus. And this being the, you know, third time in four years for the Chiefs, I think it's an advantage. But once the game starts, the game starts. Um, and, and, and so there are some things leading into it. And maybe that makes a difference in terms of game planning. But this is the best team the Chiefs have played all year. And young staff are not. I mean, there are young staff that, that win Super Bowls. You know, they're older staffs that that win Super Bowls so the experience will be on the Chiefs side but one through 53 or I should say two through 53 will be on the Eagles side in terms of the better overall roster Chiefs have the better quarterback and a close overall roster but the Eagles have the better overall team with um with with a lesser than quarterback we'll just see how much lesser than that quarterback is going to be but they do have the advantage on the sideline I do love what you're saying there. It's funny the the contrast in rosters where it's like the Eagles. You almost feel like you could, if as long as the quarterback isn't a negative, it's the it's the most ideal, perfect situation for just about any quarterback. And with the Chiefs, it's like, well, we have the quarterback, and the other stuff kind of doesn't matter. Yeah, right, right. I mean, it's a, and and the Chiefs for years have tried to build a team without the quarterback. Can you build around it? Can you build everything but the quarterback? And the answer is no. <laughs> 
You, you can't. I mean, you, you build a Super Bowl team with the quarterback, and you've got to find that guy. But she said Alex Smith and said, no, we're still going to trade a first-round draft pick to move up and take Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, but you've got Alex Smith. You've won the division, like, you know, back-to-back years. Right. And when's the, where's the Super Bowl? You know, and it's that it's kind of like, you know, chicken and the egg or the argument that that or discussion we have around here that people say, well, yeah, Patrick Mahomes came into a perfect uh, uh, you know spot. I mean, he came in with Andy Reid as the head coach, which is true. And so th- there's there's two ways of looking at it. You can say, you know, does does Patrick Mahomes have Andy Reid or the flip side? Does Andy Reid now have Patrick Mahomes? Because Andy Reid was doing what he was doing with Donovan McNabb and Alex Smith. Yeah. And he went to a Super Bowl and lost. He gets Patrick Mahomes. He's been to five straight AFC championships. This is now his third Super Bowl in four years. He's already won a Super Bowl for the first time. Mahomes is going to be an MVP for the second time. It's like Andy Reid was a really, really good coach. He just didn't have a Hall of Famer. And now he's got the best quarterback in the NFL. Bill Belichick was a really good coach. Then he had Tom Brady. What's he done without Tom Brady? You know, not saying that Belichick is a bad coach, but what's he done since Tom Brady? What did he do before Tom Brady? It makes a difference when you get a Hall of Fame quarterback to, to play with. And so it's a great marriage that, yes, Patrick Mahomes did walk into a situation where Andy Reid was there and the culture was there, and that makes a difference. But Andy Reid finally put all of the things that he dreams about in his offense with a quarterback that can go out and do that, and now they're going to the third Super Bowl in four years. Jason, a texter into the UPS Jobs text line says, Tell Jason I love him and miss him so much. And that's not, I did not text that, but I would text that. It's the same for all of us. And so now that you've got all of this Super Bowl uh, Radio Row experience and such, can you you think of off the top of your head the top one or two bizarre things that you had to have pitched to you in order to get somebody on the show during Super Bowl Radio Radio Row week? Because for those of you who don't know, everyone you've ever heard of in the history of football shows up with something to sell. And they want to come on your show, and you have to let them pitch it in order for them to typically to come on. For a great example, this week, Bill Romanowski on Jim Rome p- pitching Met Foreman, which is okay. bizarre. And so I'm kind of <laughs> curious, do you, have you had one where you're like, wow, really? You're trying Diabetes to pitch medication, you know, by yeah, the way, for right, anybody. Or fertility sometimes, <laughs> yeah. right, yeah. Uh, you know what? Uh, give me the worst one or not, two. Yeah, This week, not yet. Okay. But last year, and it turned out to be the best interview I've ever done on Radio Row, Last year, Solomon Wilcox was walking around, and there was a doctor with a brand-new heart monitor or something. And so we had Solomon Wilcox on with this doctor to talk about how great this heart monitor is and all these other things. Um, And so we kind of got through that, and then Solomon Wilcox and I got into a big argument on the air, and then he dropped his headset and walked off in the middle of the interview because we were arguing. Um, So it started off with the, God, i got to pitch this thing with this doctor. And then what was great is there was no video of it, but Solomon and I are going back and forth, and this doctor like looked like he wanted to just slide down in his chair underneath the <laughs> table, <laughs> and just <laughs> so it started off with like this, and I, I got to talk about a heart monitor, cool, uh, to then an interview that's still talked about to this day, and people are wondering if I'm going to have Solomon Wilcox on this week. That's fantastic. what was the, what was the argument? Wait, what did you guys actually argue? Yeah, about? what was that about? Okay, so the Bengals <laughs> were here last year, and obviously the Chiefs were not, and I said, you know. I think the Chiefs are the more talented team last year. And, and I think they were. I think the Bengals this year are a much better team than they were a year ago. Um, but I said, I think the Bengals are a more talented team, but the, the, or the Chiefs are a more talented team. The Bengals are deserving. Um, they, they got at this spot, and I feel like they're a year early. It was a credit to the Bengals, right? I was saying, like, they, they almost jumped the line. They're here a year early. That's, look what they've done. Look what Zach Taylor has done, that, you know, beating the Chiefs and, you know, uh, doing what they did. And, and he was like, well, no, you know, how they more talented, you know, they, they won the game. And I was like, well, you know, it's, there, are, there are things called upsets, you know, that you know, teams are more talented. He's like, all right, well, let's go through it then. He's like, um, okay, uh, you got the quarterback. There's one. Um, uh, the, the, uh, the Bengals have the better running back. There's one. So it's one-to-one. I was like, well, hold, 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 hold on, hold on. Um, the, the quarterback and the running back are not weighted the same. So it's not one-to-one. And he was like, see, this is the problem with people like you that all you want to do is argue. And I gave you the quarterback. I told you your quarterback was better. And now that's not enough for you. I said, yeah, but the quarterback's not weighted the same, Solomon. It's different. (laughs) Having the better quarterback can eliminate a lot of different things. Plus, you're telling me the running back and the quarterback are the same in the NFL? This ain't 1985, man. Um, (laughs) He's like, I gave you the place kicker, okay? (laughs) Right, exactly. He was like, well, you guys have a better tight end. There's one. I'm like, so Joe Mixon and Travis Kelsey are the same as, you know, Hayden Hurst and, and, you know, uh, 
Jarek McKinnon? Like, like this is absurd. And so then, so we go back and forth on that, and he's just like, you know, starting to talk about it. He's like, no, they're, they're the better team because they won. I said, okay, are the Jets better than the Bengals? He's like, what does that even matter? I said, well, the Jets beat the Bengals this year. So are they better because they More won? talented, he was like, yes. He was like, see, now you're changing the subject. Now you're <laughs> all around and trying to change the subject on me. I'm like, no, that is the subject. I'm actually countering your argument. And he goes, see, the people like you, the problem is you lack emotional intelligence. And I said, oh, wow. Uh, wow. And I said, I said, Solomon, if you think the quarterback's the same as every other position, you lack actual intelligence. And, um, and, and that's Jason, sort of where it went downhill. Jason, and, that was your chance right there to say, I think you, I'm glad you're not selling brain monitors. That was it <laughs> right there. That was great. But I wanted to use the intelligence part. The I, I apparently lack emotional intelligence because. Uh, Fair enough. I, I, I understand football. Fair so enough. The fact that he says a running. That's a great comeback. Today. I'm just saying you could have got him on the pitch of the heart monitor. Also, also, there's no such thing as a, as an upset. I tweeted out after St. Peter's beat UK, and I said, "Well, Solomon Wilcott says that St. Peter's is the better team. Certainly more talented than UK." <laughs> St. Peter's clearly the more talented team than you say on that board. <laughs> clearly, that clearly. Because there is no such thing as an upset. So I tweeted that out. People had some fun. But yeah, so it started off with the, let me do this. And so he got up and he, and he slams the headset and leaves. And I said, all right, so there goes Solomon Wilcott. I guess there's your emotional intelligence uh, by uh, Solomon Wilcott. Uh, so there you go. Solomon at Radio, Radio Row with a, apparently a doctor with a heart monitor. We'll, we'll, we'll be back. <laughs> that is wonderful. What great. a great story. It was it was great. And then um, you know, uh, I had the uh, his same guy reach out this week and say, Hey, do you want Solomon Wilcox on? <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. God Because I, I feel like if I have him on, like uh, I got some reaction that was like you were you were a jerk and you embarrassed the radio station. I'm like, no. No, I didn't. No, no he embarrassed himself. He, de- he deserved to have that thrown back to him. And he kept cutting me off because he's been allowed on his show just to say whatever he wants and yeah. then say stupid stuff. And then it's not countered and he keeps going. And now this was countered and he knew he was out on, on an island and he was saying some stupid stuff. But that's fine. Um, but I'm like, you know what, if I have him on now just to sort of argue with him, I feel like that would be, be going out of my way to be an AH. Like, no, I'll just let it sit there. He had his piece, I had my piece, and he's got a doctor with a heart monitor, so it's all good. Just what Jason Anderson is. He's just like uh, what the the coach of the Cavaliers was saying. We got guys who don't start spit. We got guys who don't take spit either. That's Jason Anderson. I love you, Jason. <laughs> I'm not trying to start it, but, but yeah. That just, isn't that absurd, though? Isn't that absurd to, to, to say, like, well, no, the running back and the quarterback, that's that's one apiece. Like, oh, no, it's, it's, it's preposterous. No, it's 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 dumb. Yeah, it's to level yeah. the positions on the field out to be yeah. entirely equal to where if you have a good, like you mentioned, if you have a really, really nice long snapper, that's yeah. great. That's yeah. super good. Just mm-hmm. as important as a quarterback. I gave you yeah. receiver, and I get punter. <laughs> and right. no, that's even. Yeah. But it was great because then he threw an offensive line as one. He's like, well, the, the <laughs> offensive line of the Bengals. I'm like, well, that's five players. Why don't we go left tackle one, left guard one, center one, right guard one, right tackle one. That's five to nothing. Why, why is it one to one with running back and quarterback, but the offensive line is a group? <laughs> like, Jason, I do, great. <laughs> I do have to say, like, of all the possible insults one could receive on Radio Row from a former player in the NFL – you lack emotional intelligence way down the list. I would never have seen that coming. I didn't either. I was taken I was I was taken aback and I'm just like, dude, I mean, if you want to go there, man, you lack actual intelligence. Great be, uh, and, and the thing is though he works for Pro Football Focus. Like how can he work for PFF and think the running back and quarterback's the same? Like, come on, man. I'm not that hey, surprised. They want Will Levis <laughs> to go number one overall. You right. can't trust any of them. That's right. Jason, it's so good uh, to talk to you, man. We, we, we really do miss you around here. Enjoy the rest of the week there, buddy. We'll talk to you again soon, man. Thank you so much. Hey, buddy. Absolutely, man. Call anytime. See you guys. All right. Jason Anderson. There's a reason when uh, when the, uh, the the bosses in Kansas City are like, we, we're going to start, we're going to branch out. We're going to launch somebody out here, like sending a missionary. We're going to go start a radio station somewhere. We're going to do Louisville. They sent Jason Anderson. That's why. They the sent Jason the Anderson and his hair. I miss that guy so much. He's so good at what he does, and there's a reason why we miss him dearly. And I miss doing karaoke on air with him because he simply, well, he decided he wanted to do something. <laughs> he was going to do it, and he had absolutely had just did not care what you thought about it. The best part about our segments were the people like texting in, Talk sports, damn it. Well, the positive ones were funny. Mm-hmm. We're great. The negative ones, 
that were like, I'm changing the station. Like, no, you're not. Because then, like, five minutes later, they would That's right. text us about something else. Like, no, you're going to sit there, and you're going to listen to us sing These Eyes by the Guess Who, huh. and you're going to like it. Or you're at least going to listen. You're going to like it. And the best part was when we did that on remotes, because the people in the restaurant couldn't hear the backing music. Just so y'all. all they heard was That's the two bold. of us going, Like your five-year-old just eyes? screaming with the headphones oh, on. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. We get the best looks. <laughs> Let's take a, uh, a quick break here. We'll come back. Uh, we'll react a little bit to what Jason had to say there. We haven't talked about the Super Bowl really at all. I'm looking forward to it. You haven't lived till you've sang one shining moment in the middle of a furniture store. Who have, I mean, who, who among us? Whomst among who us. Whomst. We'll be right back here on The Drive on I Thunder. Metro College is a program that helps students pay for tuition. And I didn't believe it. You have to work third shift, five days a week. It's a great and rewarding thing when you graduate. I would do it all over again, just like I just did. You know those buddies who magically become medical professionals when you're not at the top of your game? The ones who say, come on, muscle through it. But then also say, hey, you should probably see my specialist. Or surgery or pain meds. It's almost always false, false, and false. Athletico's physical therapists, the same therapists who work with professional athletes, can tackle those little aches and pains from the start before they become big ones. So next time, don't believe everything you hear. Instead, start with Athletico. Schedule your free assessment at athletico.com. You're listening to The Drive, presented by Fitness Market, right here on 93.9 The Ville. Now, here's Mark Ennis. And Biggest Biscuit, also known as Dave Skull. Welcome back into The Drive here on 93.9 The Ville. We are playing this song, not uh, as uh, talking about uh, having watched as much UofL basketball as we have uh, this year, but just because Dave likes that song and it makes him miss Jason Anderson. I love that song. It makes me miss Jason Anderson. It, it does makes me too. think about the time that we sang it in the Troll Pub when people were just trying to eat their dinner. <laughs> <laughs> you made it difficult for everybody. And they couldn't hear the backing music, but we could. In anyone, our hearts. 815939 is the number if you would like to get in here. 3831939 for the UPS Jobs text line if you want to hit us up uh, that way as well. Uh, interesting note for, uh, for two reasons. I think everyone's been pretty thrilled with the, the way Jeff Brom has been able to recruit. Yes. Uh, either maintain you know, what was there or finished extremely well uh, in some some positions of need on the team, especially in the defensive, uh, defensive front seven uh, there. But of note, uh, getting Stanquan Clark, hanging on you know, with him, staying plugged in in South Florida. We've already seen the picture of Jeff Brom down there uh, with, uh, with Uncle Luke uh, down there. Uncle Love Luke! that uh, as well. Uh, Louisville's beginning to develop a, a something of a reputation, I, and, and I mean this in a good way. There's there is an awareness around the world of college football that Louisville has its NIL ducks in a row. That it is organized, knows exactly what it's supposed to be doing, and is going to get involved and pick its spots, and and going to on the recruiting trail begin to maybe punch closer to its results weight. Uh, Which and, I'm great. I love that. And here's here, I'll give you two. That, I'm, uh, that I have in mind here. The first, I'm listening to Levitard this morning, mm-hmm. uh, which is based in Miami, and Mike Ryan, who's a giant Miami guy, a uh, huge Miami fan and, and booster, talked about the fact that uh, that people have kind of forgotten that Jim Laranega is a really good coach, so they got derailed by scandal. And, he said, and if you don't think that that happens, he said, look at Louisville. They're really struggling with basketball right now. But in football, they got them ducks in a row. He's like, they're, they're doing extraordinary things. Everyone talks about it down here yeah. in Miami. So you get you know, a, literally an actual booster from Miami talking about how they talk about how Louisville has NIL ducks in a row. And I think when we think of NIL, we think of Miami. Think of Miami. They, so were, they were the pioneers. It's mutual. Yeah. Uh, the recognition that Louisville yeah. has it you know, rolling. And then today, one of the signees at Miami, so the news that just happened where Kevin Steele's leaving Miami mm-hmm. uh, as uh, the defensive coordinator to go to Alabama – and now Miami is hiring somebody, uh, Guidry, who just left Marshall after agreeing to be Tulane's defense coordinator. Uh, he petrinoed them. Uh, this kid, now 2023 uh, signee and, and an extremely good player, uh, Antoine Jackson, a four-star corner, 
you can never have enough elite corners. Uh, and then the immediate reporting out uh, uh, because of this, with him asking to be released from his NIL because of the coordinator change, scheme yeah. change there, is the the players that are expected to be involved uh, for Jackson are Georgia and Alabama, Colorado, and Louisville. So basically, the two I, best programs. I like the waters that they were swimming in here. First of all, the two best programs in the country. Great. Currently, yes. Deion Sanders and Louisville. <laughs> Correct. So Deion Sanders, one of the greatest defensive backs of all time, and one of the most famous and flashiest football players, Absolutely. and the coolest coach in college football in Louisville. About time. About time. I mean, you get that's such a massive boost for your co- if he if he could somehow lock that down. Man. Because that like this one to you me bring out a pair of starting corners in this class. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yes, multiple star corners that can help you right away, yeah. and I think you still feel like you're not just bereft of players there as it is. As it is, yeah. You know, you know, coming in uh, to last year, but you're also staying plugged in in Florida. Uh, anytime I think that they can get some of these, not like every single great player out of Miami. I don't even expect them to get a lot, but enough that people down there think of it as an option. When they're thinking about going away, yeah, and I, I think the more Louisville is able to work on maintaining that, the easier I think it'll it'll be, you know, to stay plugged in down there for guys in the NIL world uh, as well. I I love the idea of there being you know moms and recruits sitting around a table. Why don't you go do what Lamar did? Like I, I that. That's Teddy, yeah, exactly. But like Lamar, especially, sure, like that would be the best thing that they could do. And it feels like Jeff is he thinks about well, I keep saying it, he thinks about Louisville like we do, and so the pitches often sound like the ones we would make, right? He doesn't have to manufacture a take, he doesn't have to uh, conjure up. A, 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 you know, it's autobiographical with him, yeah. Any kind of an elevator pitch, like he can just tell him what. Everything he loves about the city, and everything that the players that are coming in love about the city, and what he's been able to—that's the thing. Like he can, nobody else has really been able to to sell this city like he can, because he knows it better than anybody else has ever coached here. <sighs> I'm just really excited about this, Mark. <laughs> I yeah, just, I, I am try, not. Like I've I'm said try, before, I'm not in the habit of wishing my summers right, away, but like, man, like especially like when you, I value every day obviously but there's a part of me that kind of just i'd do it <laughs> like, i'd skip the i wish summer. one summer away yeah, yeah right that murray state well, can be like the rest super of the hype for murray state it's like it's like oh it's murray state but it's gonna be hype because it's jeff Brown's it won't be for murray game. state yeah. exactly i thought it was kind of weird and that's like the only little qualm i have with the schedule it's like ah do we have to do a thursday night game for murray state but also it's going to be hyped, and there were more people in my re- reply. There were a couple people that agreed. They're like, yeah, like I wanted that whole Saturday thing. Like normally when we talk about FCS opponents, it's like just give me like no later than a 3 o'clock game. Right. You know, That's like right. let's get it out of the right. way. Like it's not a hype machine type game. This is game. not worth coming home after midnight for. Right. Like right. I really don't want to do this at 7 o'clock at night, right. but I would have taken a 7 o'clock game on a Saturday for this so right. we could have an all-day party. I had more people in my resp- replies being like, yeah, that'd be ideal, but I'm just going to take a four-day weekend. <laughs> like, oh, okay, all right. Exactly. That's, the, that's the counter where people are like, no, this is Jeff Brom day. We're good. The, you can, Don't worry about that. <laughs> also, there there is a sense in which his like Louisville going like full Louisville on itself right. is best represented by a Thursday night game. Yeah. Like, like that's... It is. It's the most Louisville thing. Right. Like that's how we built our modern football program. Was anyone, anywhere, anytime. I mean, even Lamar, like that Heisman year started with a like, Thursday game against Charlotte. We had the eight touchdowns in the first half. That propelled the Heisman. And game then game. the Friday night game against Syracuse after that. Yeah, the right? Friday night game against Syracuse. Where they, if they yeah. had not had the drops there, they would have had one thousand yards of total offense in that game. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. That's just one of the most surreal. That whole game was almost like the, the first third. three drives, though, where they scored on five plays. I think yeah. it was yeah. like that's. Let's talk about like that was as surreal as like the defensive performance against Wake Forest in yeah. the third quarter. Like it was similar, where it didn't matter what Lamar did, mm-hmm. it was just fire. 
That's like, right. Oh, he's you know sixty yard run. Oh, hey, look, you know wide open receiver over the middle. You know, just everything he did was electric, and it was just score, score, score. Syracuse could do nothing about it. Punctuated by that, you know, the hurdle. hurdle. It was just a incredible kind of people knew about Lamar Jackson. You know, he really established himself in the in the A and M bowl game, but that was his like. The beginning of the Heisman campaign, like there was rumbles of the Charlotte game, and they're like, "That's ridiculous. This is going to be an amazing season." And then he did it to a conference opponent, and they're like, "Yeah, all right, it's on, it's on. This kid's unreal." And he won the Heisman After against Florida weeks. State. That's right. Like he had won it. It didn't really matter that we had a little bit of a collapse down the stretch. He won the Heisman in September. Well, and Lamar, like people would tune in because they're fun. Like it was f- yeah. crazy fun to What's watch. What's he going to do next? Yeah, yeah. It, it, and and Louisville's had that before. I think some of Bobby's teams, people would like they wanted to watch that, so, especially some of his first tenure teams. And then Lamar, like they want, like that was fun. They wanted to see that. And I do, you know, I don't think Scott was fun to watch like that. Like it was workmanlike, and you know, he was like, "I got a job to do, I'm going to do it." And but it wasn't like a show. And I do think that Jeff has a f- much bigger prominent flair for for the the showmanship element the entertainment element of it the funness yeah. of it you know as a product to sell and that that players react you know they respond to it and it, i'm saying scott's way of doing things is fine you, you got to recruit guys who who are motivated that way and you teach them that way and then you do it and that's fine it's up to, like but i think we have all been conditioned to the styles of play prior to him that were about sending a message like shock and awe yeah on top of just winning it it was like Absolutely not only gonna win, you're gonna hate the entire process of this and i do think that jeff's going to be a return to that i i hope so which i welcome yeah like i agree i i think i think absolutely and it's the thing about that that type of shock and awe, it doesn't it's not born out of just hype you know and like some kind of loosely the coaches that can execute that harness it can harness it yeah. are disciplined um you know they have a system they are like they are overly prepared you know that's how bobby was yeah that's, that's right. how i mean for all of his faults and we know it, dis- it it fell apart down the stretch because he's a mostly because he's an ah but you know it, it's that's jeff like, i think jeff has a lot of the positives positive qualities of petrino with a lot more humanity <laughs> you know what i mean like he's a Without relatable guy from a sure. like a family that we all know and we all love you know See, and- I, what i loved about bobby and i think he deserves credit for this because he uh, howard did this john l not not quite so much but uh, there's a and jeff's purdue teams did this too in almost every game, at some critical moment, there's like a real aha, like gotcha. Yeah. You know, at some crucial third down and distance or whatever, a trick play, you know, a, a play that was set up by another play, and where you just sort of sit back and you're just like, oh, that was so good. <laughs> like, just a penchant for that. I don't think Scott really had that either. Uh, but I think Jeff duh, that comes with his own set of faults too. But I think we all have been conditioned to like that we think of Louisville football like that yeah because those type of things come out of the uber preparation they come out of the ability is what you're looking for right they come out of the people that that can analyze a a game plan can come up with a game plan and they know exactly when to pull the trigger on things like that with scott he would uh, they would execute a trick play every once in a while but they almost always overcooked it once or twice like uh you pulled that it's almost like oh, it worked once. You know, work, That's why I'm telling you, man. Doesn't like, know when to throw Scott it out. Scott didn't have like a philosophy. He did it. He like when he would go for it on fourth down or, or stuff like that yeah. to be naughty. See, that, right? Like ooh, we'll, have, I, we'll have a little piece of cheesecake at lunch. They said I couldn't do that. Yeah, piece exactly. of cheesecake at lunch. Exactly. You know, that's that's the thing. Like uh, he had. The one way to win games on That's offense. Right. That's what that was my biggest criticism of him over the years is that he had one way to win games on offense, and once he had to break that paradigm, he really struggled. He really struggled. Like if he couldn't do what he wanted to do with the zone run, I guess I'm just not meant to be. It, it's like, uh, <laughs> right. well, I guess not because he how did he how did he scheme like how he couldn't scheme the passing game. He was not creative. It was you know we're setting up we're setting up a bomb. And if that doesn't work, 
Like I, I'm not going to matriculate the ball down the field with the mid, you know, the the, the short to mid passing game. I'm not going to have a guy ten yards open on every play, like Petrino always did. His route trees were maddening when you started when you sat down and started watching it. It's it. None of it made sense. He wasn't a good passing game coach. Oh no, he didn't understand the intricacies. He the, didn't understand the, the right. It was a really subset of of the running offense. Yeah, it was basically. We're gonna set up big gains off of this plays. off of this uh, this in zone, inside outside zone offense that we're running, and if it doesn't, if we can't build it out of that, like if I'm in a if we're in a late game situation and we're down by two touchdowns, and he's got to run or he's got to throw the ball with five minutes left, that was painful to watch sometimes. And we ended up having quarterbacks that were put in bad situations. I'm not like absolving Malik of his of his late game decision making, especially in this last season. But we always put quarterbacks in bad situations with a lot of of receivers that weren't open. How often that happened? We we analyzed this year where it was like, yeah, Malik looks bad. Look oh, downfield. There's nobody open. Oh, I think if you go back to Scott being haunted, I think by the second half against Florida State, where there was Louisville wide receivers did nothing in that yeah. half, and the passing game when needed. Could never uh, really deliver. I am not worried about that no. going forward. No, I mean, there's a reason why he stacked that receiver room with a bunch yeah. of new talent to go with some of the holdovers. He's going to, like, if you can't do it, somebody else can do it. And we're going to find four or five dudes that are reliable out of the nine, ten guys that we've got in there. Uh, that's why he went out and got Jack Plummer. He's like, somebody I know can make these throws. I know he can. In addition to developmental quarterback, you know that we that we brought in a, a high talent kid that we expect to be the future. And I'll be honest with you, man. Um, Travis Egan, like I, I have a weird feeling about him that at some point in his career he's going to win. We do this. He's going to win a game for us. Yeah. I, don't, I that, doesn't that sound stupid to talk yeah. about a walk no, a preferred walk on quarterback? It doesn't. It but doesn't. I watched it. I actually we do this. You know, I I know a little bit about him. I know a lot of people from Bullitt County, and it just he has that weird feel of a winner that like. Oh, we I have that. we I have know. two two guys injured his junior and senior year. We have to pull right. in Travis Egan, and he throws. He's got to go in and like uh, Will Stein. And he just throws run for three hundred fifty yards and four touchdowns this year. That's true. All right, we'll come back here for one more segment before turning you over to pregame coverage of Louisville and Pittsburgh tonight. You're listening to the Drive on Unthinkable. Be right back.